Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. What does it take to get the information from the OEs into the scan tools we use every day at the shop, connecting the tool manufacturers that serve the automotive aftermarket with the OEs is the job of the Equipment and Tool Institute, or ETI. Lucas and Dutch had an opportunity to sit down with the executive director of ETI, Brian Plott. As someone whose job it is to connect the automotive aftermarket with the OEs, Brian was able to bring a unique perspective on the current state and the future of our industry. Also. Dutch goes on several rants, so listen out for those. Before we begin, however, if you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners, for shop owners, and those seeking their perspective. We have frank and open conversations like the one you're about to listen to, where we discuss the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. So, if you like this content, We'd greatly appreciate a subscription on your favorite podcast listening app. If you're catching us on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an upload. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go. So, you know, Brian, I want you to meet Dutch. Dutch is uh, one of my mentors, really close friend of mine, um, owns A&M Auto Repair in Pineville, North Carolina. So, Brian, meet Dutch. Dutch, meet Brian. Dutch, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Um, you know, the thing is that I've known Lucas now for, for many years, and it's it always surprises me, quite candidly, that he's known me for this long period of time and he still screws up my company name it's a and m auto 
service. You see, <laughs> A for Anna, M for Max. Not uh, now. While it's true that we certainly do repair autos, especially the European kind, because they break so frequently, it's A and M Auto Service. The service we provide, not A and M Auto Repair. Repair. <laughs> That's right. Advance Auto. It's Advance. I'm telling you, it's Advance. It's Advance. Uh-huh. Okay. That's right. That's All right. Um, so as you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. That's, we have a good time. So Yeah. It was I'm sorry we I'm sorry for the uh uh the delay and the challenges that we had, but appreciate your patience. Hey, listen, Gosh, anything no. worth uh, listening to or anything good is going to be worth waiting for. So really, I don't want you to feel any pressure. But if you do this wrong, we're going to send a hitman over to your house. Okay? <laughs> so just so that you know. All right. You'll have to find me. You'll have to find me first. I'll be in Miami. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's it. There you go. There you go. Um, so, Brian, you're president of ETI. Now, many of the ASOG members don't have the slightest clue what ETI is. I didn't know what ETI was. Dutch, did you know what ETI was? As a matter of fact, I did. Um, many, many, many years ago, there was a white paper that they had produced that I was searching um, really hard for. But if you've seen my office, there's not a chance <laughs> that I'm ever going to find any of that sort of stuff. So um, I had heard of it, but I had no idea, quite candidly, the, the nature of uh, the involvement in the industry. I thought it was strictly an equipment. I had no idea about the the working so closely with manufacturers. Very good. I yeah. yes, I'm I'm the um, executive director because my my boss is actually the president. We have an elected uh, board of director structure, and oh, so cool. I I report to the to whoever the president is this year. <laughs> um, very nice, and that changes over every year. Um, very cool. Well, tell us, how did you get involved with ETI? That's a great question. I, uh, I've i actually been involved with ETI off and on through a good portion of my career um, uh, because it's a it's an association for the tool and equipment manufacturers. Um, different, different tool companies that I worked for over the course of my career um, were usually members of ETI. Um, they... Um, they, you know, they did, they were strong in mechanical tool storage alignment and diagnostics, but, the, and they've grown over time where it's gotten very heavy on diagnostics. But, uh, uh, I would participate in different roles I held within the company I was working for at the time. Um, and, uh, found that it was, it was tremendously valuable to us as, as, uh, equipment producers and, uh, manufacturers to be able to get that kind of, a an industry ally to, to help us out with, uh, with legislation, with, with OEM relationships and that kind of thing. So, and, uh, so over the years I've, I participated off and on, but as, as a member, and then, uh, here about two years ago, uh, I got a call out of the blue and found that the previous executive director was retiring. They were looking for someone and they said, would you like to be considered? And I said, let me think about it. Yes. So <laughs> that's so, fantastic. Uh, it was a, it was, a, it ended up being a really good, good relationship. Well, so explain to us what ETI does, right? I can go look on the website. I can get some ideas, but explain to us the idea of what it is they do. And, and I get that, that shop owners can't be members of the organization. I understand that. 
but you really do a lot for shop owners. Help us understand what it is that you do. We try to be an advocate to all of the tool and equipment manufacturers that the shop owners depend on for. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Helping their their business run efficiently and grow. Everything that we do, we think through that, how is it going to affect our membership, but how is it going to affect their customers? How does this help? Those end user, you know, our end user customers, the technicians, the shop owners. How does how does what we do help them grow? Uh, we we are able to influence um, with other associations, with the government, with the OEMs directly, uh, the things that will affect them. And we we lobby and work for and fight for sometimes what's in the best interest of the industry. And when we say the industry, we're talking about the shop owners and the techs and the and the people that actually use the products our members make. Um, you were at the, uh, the tool tech event, I believe. Right. And, and, uh, you saw the kind of, uh, interaction that we had. You saw OEMs in attendance, uh, where, you know, everybody wants to constantly think that the OEMs are the evil ones. They're actually, I mean, they're going through it just like we are. And, and even the, even though they're corporate monsters, we're dealing with the people that have to sustain and maintain their cars uh for their customers so they they are trying to make an effort to to make this thing mutually beneficial to both the aftermarket and to their own uh oem shops so right right and and you know there was a conversation at eti that i had with somebody and and we've talked about it in a previous podcast and and it was talking about a vehicle that we were working on in the shop. And it's actually what I talked about um, on the panel at Tooltech. And and Dutch, I think you'll kind of relate to this. This was a, a, a fleet vehicle. And they owned a number of these vehicles. And it came in and it had locked itself out. 
and it, it had an emissions fault. It had to go to the dealer to be unlocked. And, and you know, Dutch Dutch is near enough to me that he understands and kind of knows um, what the terrain here is like. So I had to put this big vehicle on a tow truck or a rollback and send it all the way to Charlotte to get this vehicle programmed or or not programmed. Let me correct that. Unlocked. <laughs> and And, you know, we're talking about a $600 tow bill down there. And then somebody has got to take a couple hours off of work, go down there, pick it up and bring it back. And I've told that story and I found it really interesting that one of the manufacturers came up to me and said, that's something we have to fix because if you don't want to work on our vehicles, I hate to tell you, but people aren't going to buy them. And that was kind of an eye opening thought process for me. Is that something you're seeing more and more of? Well, first I'll say yay because that's that's what kind of that's the kind of thinking we've been trying to influence uh, with with our relationships with the OEMs, and to, they know and and some of them really really embrace uh, that the 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 impact of the service experience after after the sale is critically important, and some some end user car owners want to be able to take their car to whoever they work with. Or in the case that you just outlined, they should be able to go down the street and, and get that, get that kind of service without having to pay the, you guys having to invest in a tow bill to take it a hundred miles away. Um, because they realize that's going to come to pass. Their, 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 their customers will be thinking about that when they go to buy a car the next time. Exactly. So we are, we've, these are changing times as you well know. Uh, the technologies that are flowing out uh, of the automotive industry, the OEMs, are phenomenal. And they're flowing out at speeds that are really, really challenging to keep up with. Um, right. And tremendous technologies. But the cars are getting out there before even even the OEM technicians really can tell, ever, you know, know what's going on there and how to service and repair them. And as right. they're, they're getting out into that aftermarket space. Um, it's, it's, and it's coming out it, it ramped up and is just flying out into, uh, out of warranty into that aftermarket space. It's critically important that the technicians get the training, that the, that the shops get the, the proper information, that they have tools to actually do what they need to do because people, the work now, uh, whether it's, you got, whether you got to unlock a secure gateway to get in to fix a car, or you've had a car that's had damage to it and had to have something replaced it needs to do an ADOS calibration. Um, you know, those things need to be done right so that that car goes out safe as safe as it was the day it rolled off the assembly line for that end user are right. more so than ever. The technicians have, you know, a lot of people's lives in their hands. So, and, and, you know, that brings up a really <clears throat> valid point because, and, 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 you know, Dutch and I have had this conversation many, many times I think the access to the information is extraordinarily important. Um, you know, I, I have had situations where a vehicle would need calibration, would need some type of, of service. And and in my position, we, we pay for many, many information services, right? Mm -hmm. But I have found in many cases that we don't see that little piece of information and it's hidden somewhere. And, and we'll be doing a repair, we'll be performing a process, and then we come up and say, oh, we can't re 
repair this vehicle the way we're supposed to. And that sure puts us as shop owners in a really tough spot, right? I think that's one of the toughest spots we can be in. And I keep thinking, what about these guys out here who are running a shop? They don't have those information resources and they go in, they work on this car and they send it out and they didn't realize it needed a calibration. And now let's say adaptive cruise control doesn't work or, uh, you know, emergency braking doesn't work like we expect. At the end of the day, we're the professional. We're supposed to know those things. But Dutch, I mean, what, what's been your your perspective on obtaining this data? Because that's something we've talked about before. It can be really difficult to find sometimes. Well, you know, the, I'm really torn about this. And Brian, I'm going to be absolutely candid because please do. To tell you, I'm not. The some of the manufacturers really step up and warmly embrace the aftermarket and say, "Hey, listen." We understand that there's a certain segment of the market that's always going to want to go back to you. You have a relationship with them. They trust you. So we're going to do what we can to make ultimately our job easier because we want to sell more parts. That's part of, you know, they're in business. They want to sell more parts and we want to keep brand loyalty. That's terrific. And there's another, and there's another group who looks at it as being an adversarial relationship. It's a competition. That's correct. And they don't want vehicles to go anywhere except to their service dealers for service. And it's pretty apparent when you get involved with these subscriptions, which of these manufacturers, which camp they fall into. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, I try to to steer away. There are ways of getting around it. I try to steer away, I'm, I'm being candid, mm-hmm. from going to specific manufacturer sites because I don't want to reward the behavior that says you're not good enough. I don't want them to have my hard-earned dollars, so I use workarounds for those manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And it's not that because if they don't appreciate what I'm trying to do, which is to promote their band by their brand by providing a service so that their vehicles are safe and reliable, if they're not willing to partner with me in that regard, why do I want to give them any of my subscription money? Now, I'm not talking about using clones or any of that ridiculous crap. I, that's not what I'm talking <laughs> about. There's, you know, there's plenty of that that crap out there. I'm not going to risk ruining a car doing that i'm not going to have that it compromise my shop's integrity so you know lucas is 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 right you know there's there's a recent manufacturer who because somebody in the aftermarket screwed up really bad they've just taken their their subscription costs and now they're vin specific and it it starts hurting the smaller shop you know, I gave up on doing Volvos. Mm-hmm. If you go to, to program Volvos, you have to have a lot of Volvos in your lot that you're going to do within a 24-hour period of time to make it worthwhile. Because the cost, the daily cost, by the time you do everything, I, I just don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I've weaned myself away from Volvos. Right. And, and you know, I think from my perspective is is the – 
lack of information or lack of clarity. And I, I understand in some instances there's information they don't need to release or they shouldn't release. I get that. But in a lot of ways, you know, for instance, Mercedes-Benz, I'm telling you, you know, it, it's almost like they really don't want us to work on their cars, or at least in the past. And, and I'm hopeful that changes, right? But I mean, I hate to tell you, I could not afford to use OE subscriptions to, to maintain or repair a Mercedes-Benz. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. I can't afford it. Um, and I mean, if that's all I did, of course I could. But, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Where does that take us as far as a market? And, and are things changing? Are their perspectives changing? Uh, excellent points. And, and, uh, and that what you're looking at here and what you're describing is exactly what we spend every day trying to drive and influence. Um, we have that group of OEs that are, are really good to deal with and, and excellent. And they're improving all the time. Cause like I said, some of the new things coming are creating huge challenges for them internally as well. And as Dutch mentioned, you've got some OEMs that just flat out make it so difficult for you to work with that they won't work with anybody. And I, to the, to your point, I know who they are. <laughs> um, we, um, you know, we try to influence them with one-on-one relationships with each OEM and, and you need to work to find to make sure you're talking with the right people. But sometimes the people that I'm talking with relative to equipment and tools, um, uh, end up, they have their, they'll have the right attitude, but the people that are above them are the ones driving the, the particular direction of the, of the OE. What I can say is that in, oddly enough, in 2020, <laughs> we've had tremendous, um, forward progress with several OEMs, including a couple of the ones that have been a little more, uh, challenging to work with in, in the past. And there's things that are in the works right now that, uh, while, the COVID thing has slowed us down. It's 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 been a double-edged sword, and you'll see those things trickling out throughout the course, I believe, of this year. But um, it doesn't address for right now, and the problem continues to grow because you're having vehicles come in your shops with technologies that no one's seen yet, and and in the aftermarket space. And how do you, what is it? How does it work? <laughs> how do how do I deal with it? And what has to be done? All become it's a whole new world of those kind of questions. Uh, that, that you guys are, are dealing with. We, um, uh, at the end of last year, there used to be a, a big global association called the Automotive Alliance. Um, they changed their name uh, to the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. And basically that association is an association of almost all of the global OEM manufacturers. Um, and we... Um, Got opportunity through some things that we did in trying to to uh, work with some of the OEMs. Uh, we we got involved with that group, uh, to, and we've been able to give them information to help them out. But gotten information they've wanted to know where our challenges were, and they've helped us in uh, interfacing with some of those OEs that have have really kind of making a turnaround. So so there there are things that are being driven that are are uh, hopefully going to bring change that'll make that improve. Well, that's definitely fantastic information. 
and and uh, fantastic news for sure, because I think that there's a lot of folks and and one of the hot topics um, right now in our group is we keep hearing this. You need to tool up with OE tools. Now it, it's a fifty fifty split, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is there's there's a market that says technology is a service. We're gonna we're going to pay somebody else to log into this vehicle and handle much of the um, programming things of that nature as a service. We're gonna pay them as opposed to raising up a technician or training a technician to be able to handle these things in house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the other fifty percent who believe we should buy all OE tools, and and one of the things that keeps coming up about that is if you're going to buy all OE tools, it kind of limits your ability. It, 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 it makes you focus in on one, two, maybe three primary brands of service. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on technology as a service? Where, where do you think we're going with that? We have a couple of our members that are, are main, uh, running business models that work that way. Um, and quite successfully, I mean, it's helping them, helping their customers meet demands that, uh, you know, they were they were finding challenging before. Otherwise, those models wouldn't have taken off and, and grown like they have. Um, I think is I think it becomes a combination. Um, at least that that that's my opinion. Um, that you'll have a, a mix of things. We continue to. Uh, to try and get that information out as best we can. But the, you know, the learning curve, the training and everything else, it's going to be difficult for anybody to handle everything. Uh, you mentioned about buying all OEM tools. Um, that becomes a really expensive proposition, as you, as you mentioned. Um, and then having to, knowing how to utilize them, what you're going to be faced with becomes a challenge. Um, and I know, I know a couple of shops, the guys that own them have everything known to man and they're, and they're phenomenal diagnosticians. They do a lot of the work for the OEs around them. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's getting harder every year for to maintain that kind of a thing. Um, and, you know, be an individual and try to have all the tools that, that you can have to, uh, to be able to affect every repair you're going to get faced with. Um, I've seen a couple of them that have focused on... One guy that I know bought a shop. He's a phenomenal diagnostician, and he's got... Um, like the OEs send their cars to him. He's got a huge following um, of regular customers and so forth. So he's focused. He's opened a second shop. And he focuses one on more of the mechanical repair uh, and some of the the current car park that's in the in the field, and another one that basically is doing all of the stuff that's high end. He's doing vehicle reprogramming. He's doing the really hard diagnostic stuff. He's he's uh he's doing ADOS calibrations and whatever it may takes. And he, so he's kind of separated that out with two businesses, uh, one handling the current and one handling the newer. Um, I don't know. There's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of demand and change. And I know that the, the all makes scan tool manufacturers are working very hard uh, to try to, to uh, enable their tools to, to do whatever needs to be done to do the same kind of service they would do with an OE tool. Um, and we're we're trying to encourage those conversations by, you know, getting the OEMs together with, with, uh, with our members and and getting them to understand here's here's what the burden is and 
what what's going to be the solution going forward. Um, it's going to take time. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things that, that are going on right now in the industry, like the Right to Repair Act out of Massachusetts or the Right to Repair II uh, out, of, out of Massachusetts and uh, other federal legislations that are being proposed uh, to try and get all of the, the uh, OEMs to provide their data that way. Um, we have at ETI, we maintain what's called the, the TechNet Library. It's something that was started um, due to uh, Clean Air Act uh, back, what, 2009? Mm -hmm. And the government actually mentioned that ETI should be the repository for all the OBD data uh, for the, for the uh, manufacturers because they were forced to make that information available to be able to do repairs because they were emissions-related. Um, right. So ETI became the repository for that. We, we maintain the data needed to, for our members to be able to make their scan tools or telematics or whatever it is. Um, and we maintain that in the TechNet library up until the, the, the last couple years when, uh, the first, uh, secure gateway got introduced, we've been fine, <laughs> but we got right. to that point and here comes the secure gateway and all of a sudden everything's locked up. Um, so it's, we've been working with them. They have come up with a solution that OEM and we actually handle the distribution and the licensing for them. And it's now everything your, your aftermarket scan tool, as long as it's got the, the license for the gateway unlock is capable of doing everything it can do in a dealership. That's the kind of model that we're trying to drive to make it as easy as possible to get all the information. So, so. Let me ask you this. We've seen a lot about right to repair and a lot about legislation and, and things changing in that arena. Do you think that makes it more difficult to have these open lines of communication and and get that engagement from the OEs? You know, and, and we talk about Toyota a lot. I'm, I'm a big Toyota fan. I, I think they work extremely hard to work with us. Um and it would be a training, whatever it is. So I've, I've got to get major props to Toyota for that. But these other OEs, do you think that they kind of lock up when they see this this stuff happening? How do they respond to you when that happens? Uh, you hit, yes, you hit the nail on the head. That when they, so I'm from, we were talking right to repair. What was the question? Yeah. Ahead? In other words, so when we talk right to repair, right, we've talked so much about right to repair lately. A lot of folks look at this like, man, this is really going to solve the problems of our industry. Do you feel like when when you hear of right to repair that it almost drags back their willingness to engage? And, and you know, I was talking about Toyota because I really, really like the Toyota model and how well they work with us. Um and then it seems like as soon as some of this big stuff happens, some right to repair stuff starts to go down. Um, all of a sudden, other manufacturers, it seems very, very odd that they start to lock down right after that. Do you see that from your perspective? Yes, absolutely. Um, you've, you've got OEs, like you were saying, like with Toyota, we talk with them a couple times a week. Um, but when, you know, with with right to repair coming up, um, you know, you've got, you've got the politics behind all of the, the, um, of everything, uh, you know, of, of all the situation there. And they, 
uh, once all of that went down and it was really, they threw the brakes on. Um, here's where ETI uh, differentiates itself significantly in the inter- industry. There are a couple of very big uh, industry associations um, that we work with all the time. Um, you know, we, we, we work with them in support of their efforts and they work with us in support of our efforts. Where we differ is when it comes to um, forcing the OEs to turn over the information. We have to take a, a neutral position. Um, right. We, we, uh, we, it differentiates us significantly because everybody else is going to you know, go fight to the death. In the meantime, we have to maintain that, that information for OBD2 for, for Clean Air Act. We have to get the information. Um, and on the new technologies out to the field, we, we, you know, we have a, not a charter, but we have a mission to, to, to keep that information flowing. And so where it would have been easier to step in and, and take a hard line, it's not practical. And we're finding that it's also in some cases not necessary. We're making good, good headway, speaking directly with the OEMs. And, um, that comes from some help with, uh, from the, uh, Alliance. Um, that have opened some doors for us where they previously were were closed even before the right to repair piece, um, and they're they're being very helpful to us, and we're trying to reciprocate and be helpful to them because I think at the end of the day we all want the same thing, <laughs> but some right. of the you know it, it, that business model and it becomes really difficult to to understand. I mean, because your your uh, your tool providers, your diagnostic tool providers, and others uh, are I mean it's it it's a huge it's a huge challenge for them. And we, we we try to give it everything we can to, even though some of them slam the door shut with right to repair, we're trying to keep the door that the door open and, uh, and things moving. And we we ride on the coattails of some of the ones in the, and, uh, take care of us so well all the time. We try to take care of them as well, uh, too. So. All right. So everybody's made nice, nice. Okay. <laughs> no, well, no, they haven't. <laughs> they were actually—it's a war zone over there. <laughs> yeah, well, well you we're just—we're just standing on the sidelines watching to see who's going to win the battles. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have—I have some questions, and I don't mean to—you know—to interrupt Lucas because you know that you asked some really good stuff. But one of the questions that that I know when when doing some background on on this is what is your relationship with NASTEF? ETI's relationship. Mm-hmm. We are um, well. Actually, my my uh, chief technical officer sits on their board. <laughs> we have an ongoing uh, we have ongoing uh, you know relationships with with NASTEF. In fact, for uh, for our tool tech event this year, um, we're trying. To, we've we've at their request, we're expanding it, so it'll, it's going to include AMRA and uh, and NASTEF with uh, with our event. But um, so we have a we have a good rapport with them, although we don't get into uh, the, the you know the, the the whole key security thing and so forth. Know what it is, know how it works, know what we need to refer to them versus things that we would handle ourselves. But what's your challenge there? Well, the the um, okay. You can just say it candidly. That's just okay. <laughs> 
I'm trying really. I promised, Lucas. <laughs> I really, I promised. He told me something the other day. He said, is what you're going to say going to help or going to hurt? <laughs> if it's going to hurt, don't say it. And I'm trying. I really, really, my wife wore a dress. I thought it looked like the living room curtains, but I didn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> right. And I, she, cause she asked me, she said, do, do you like me in this dress? And I was, is an delusional. Lucas's voice, which is the wrong thing to do after you're married for 30 years, to hear Lucas's voice in your head when your wife is standing there semi-clad, <laughs> wanting to know if this is the right thing to do. <laughs> and I hear Lucas's voice saying, is this is going to help or is this going to hurt? Uh, and... Um, I couldn't move. It was one of the only times in my marriage that I was actually frozen like a statue. So she well, just looked at me and thought I was having a mini stroke and then left the bedroom. Okay. So, I mean, we can talk about whatever it is you want to say. I, there, understanding that, uh, you know, uh, NASTF is NASTF. And- well, the, 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 the issue is that, that this is a non-elected body that has um, almost – and this is, I'm going to choose my words carefully, but screw it. All right. It's almost dictatorial power. Okay. And um, that is worrisome because they don't really answer to anybody. If you, if you don't fill out your paperwork for, you know, used to be the LSID, but, you know, you're security professional, um, vehicle security professional, there's nobody, there's, it's, it's like a little fiefdom. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping and I, you know, I may be all wet. And it's entirely possible. I was hoping that you guys had were able to exert some influence to try to have them look at a different perspective. I, and again, I'm grateful for the organization doing what they're doing, but the reality is there's no checks and balances that I can see as an independent service professional. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of hoping you could address and say, well, as a matter of fact, what we're going to be doing is this, and I don't think that's what's going to happen. Well, and I, well, unfortunately, I can't tell you that we <laughs> we can do about. It's an interesting point that you you make in terms of their structure, um, and uh, I know you know I know their their uh, director and and so forth from being in my role, um, and as I said, my CTO is actually on their board, uh, so we're many others from both the OEM side and the aftermarket, but, um, something like that. Um, if, if you see specific areas that don't seem to be fair or, or, I mean, well, it's, we have it's to, not, ban- we have to for- band together. It's that time for the aftermarket. We have to band together. for well, no, Absolutely. But if, it, and if- it's not anything, it's not anything personal. I, you know, it's, it's not like they've denied me now, actually, though, having listened to this, they probably will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, well, let me put it to you this way. If, if, if I were, if I'm ETI or if I'm sitting there as the, the, the director of uh, NASTEF, what I would want to hear on this podcast is that those guys are really kicking it. You know, they're hooked up and it, it's working great. Um, and if, if it's something that's contrary to that, then what they're after isn't being accomplished and they should be made aware of that. Well, let's just uh, say that, that, that among the rank and file, and I, I can't presume to speak for everybody, but among the, the, the rank, and I've been around the business for a while, um, it's seen as a necessary evil, not as a welcoming, yeah. partners in right. uh, moving the industry forward. Mm-hmm. 
It's it's an impediment that you have to scale, not a, a, a challenge that is to be met with vigor. It's just oh crap. This is what we. <laughs> this is what we. You know what I need to do, and they they don't want to make this this easy, and you know they should be mindful. In my view, I'm just one guy who's obviously never going to be a member um, <laughs> after this podcast. <laughs> they should be mindful of the fact that they exist because of us and being an unanswered without checks and balances, without having, you know, it's kind of like for the fed, right? In that no politics, um, you have a, a, a governing body that doesn't answer to anybody. And that that troubles a lot of members because you know we, we we get around before COVID and we we would chew the fat, and it you know it it is disturbing because this is our livelihood, mm-hmm. you know it's not a matter of 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 you know okay you can't go to a ball game it's it's a matter of I have clients that need to have, um, this work done and it's taking a really long time to get credentials or. You know, they're sending forms back because they didn't fill out something. You know, they didn't dot the I. After a while, it's enough already. It's a power mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I have heard, you know, on both sides of that. So I, I agree. I, I hear a whole lot of folks fussing about it. And I asked somebody at one point and he said, listen, he said, the reason is, is because we finally started enforcing the rules that we were supposed to enforce. And to a degree, I can understand that. But in the same respect, and and I don't want to get off on a nasty tangent that, you know, we're beating them up, right? But, But the reality is this, is that if you go look at the website, if you're an automotive service professional, and you really need information, you need to understand what do you use to program X vehicle. That is not the website to go to. <laughs> it's outdated. It's behind. And and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it, it feels like many of the folks in the industry had quietly been saying this for a while, and it's starting to ramp up, and it's getting louder and louder and louder to the point that those of us, for instance, in ASOG, it's kind of hard to overlook the fact that behind the scenes, people are talking this loud about a subject like this. And... You know, I, I know this is definitely more about ETI as as far as our conversation tonight goes, but it brings up a valid point. If we want to improve our industry, Brian, see, Dutch, I said it, industry. You um, still screwed it up. It's industry. All right. It's industry. I didn't. I'm going in the house. Industry. Not industry. What are you talking about? You make it. I, I, I swear listen, to God, I need an interpreter. I'll pay somebody Linda, to translate hillbilly for me. This is, it's killing me. I'm watching him Linda, murder the English Linda, language. L- Linda, Linda, we're not going to talk about advanced auto parts. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Dutch, don't stroke out on me, okay? I know <laughs> it's past your bedtime. <laughs> Diapers Close. almost full. Close. I get it. I, I, I got like an hour, and 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 then I gotta, you know, I gotta run to the pharmacy because I'm running out of Depends and Metamucil. You know, I mean, so, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, let's say that we want to begin to improve our industry. Where do we go from here, right? Because it, it, sometimes it feels like, you know, we've got all these organizations, and I'm not talking about ETI, 
and and you'll hear me fuss about this on the podcast from time to time because we talk about um, the ASAs of the world and the uh, ACAs and the you know all of these different automotive service associations. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always felt like there's some really great organizations doing some really great things, but there's no common direction. There's no movement. You know, we talk about things like the tech shortage and access to the information we need. Brian, where do we go from here? If we want to start fixing our industry from your perspective, how do we do that? Actually, you're, you're doing it now by inviting us to participate in this podcast. Um, what you were just saying a moment ago relative to what the industry needs, we're trying to do that. And this ties back to what we talked about at the beginning of the, the podcast was that we, we're trying to help our members, customers with everything that we do. It's it, right. the things that we do and the things we, we are able to impact, enable or don't enable our, our members to be able to make the tools and equipment and provide the information it's beneficial to you. Um, everything we do, we think of, you know, we have, we think of our member, we think all the way through that, all the way down to the, to the, uh, to the technician and the consumer is going to get in that car and drive it after somebody's worked on it. So it, it's, but it's, it's, I understand what the, your frustration, because I look at, it's a, it's an alphabet soup of acronyms. You've got <laughs> ETI, you've got NASTIF, right. you've got, Auto care, you got AASA and MEMA, you got, uh, you know, ASA, you've got, you know, all and many, many more. Sorry for all the ones I left out, but (laughs) how do we, how do we, the associations all get on board where, you know, we're all moving in the same direction and there's, there's things that we do and there's things that we don't. Um, but we're all trying to influence it. Um, right. So at ETI, the one thing that we always think of, and when we're talking to our members is what we're doing that can help them get what they need or, or, or create what they need to help their, to te- help their, their customer base. And I can tell you that, it, especially the big ones, the big members um, who can make very loud comments, <laughs> they are passionate about taking care of their customer base. And right. when, when they're calling and say, where's this information for the OEM? Where's this information from the OEM? And we, you know, we're pounding on the OEM. You got to give us this. We've got to have it. It's, it, you know, within the, within the laws that stand today, we have to provide this information. Some, you know, some will jump up and others are just, it's like pulling teeth right now. You've had a lot of changeover too. Keep in mind within the industry, within the OEM side of the house, lots of change in the course of the past year. I mean, these are monstrous operations that, you know, were forced to work from home since last March and they still don't right. know when they'll let them in the building. Uh, others they've, they've, they've reduced force and, and other things. And I can tell you, I'm dealing with a whole lot of new people for the, you know, that have never talked to us or even knew about us in the past with some of them. So it's, uh, you know, we, we just continue to try and move it forward as hard and as fast as we can and uh, like I said, throughout the whole thing this past year, we've been working behind the scenes that hopefully we're going to see a lot of good stuff coming to, to fruition, not for every one of them, but for quite a large group. So it's, I just, I think that we need to keep communicating where the frustrations lie and where the weak spots are so that we can do something about it. But we have to maintain that passion because our, our tech, your technicians and shop owners and your customers 
lives are at stake when it comes to this. It's, I mean, it's always been serious. I used to freak me out how, you know, you, you, people had to get a license to cut your hair, but you, they let anybody do a brake job on your car. Right. You know, look at today. The, I mean, this, the stuff with, with not only how the systems work when they're, when they're working, but if a vehicle's in an accident, having the, having the information and the knowledge and the tools and equipment, not only just, you're no longer just putting, you know, replacing body panels, you're dealing with, with high-end diagnostic problems now from damaged components and damaged wiring harnesses and, and technicians that don't have a clue where to begin to, uh, to even figure out what needs to be fixed in the electronics side of the vehicle when they're doing the collision repair. They need help. They need information. They need tools, just like, you know, if it is a standard vehicle uh, repair. So it's, we're, we're trying to, as fast as all of that's moving, it's almost like it would have been nice to let, let the world know that this was coming before it just showed up. But, uh, right. you right. know, uh, we just, we're trying to run full speed to get them what they need to help you with the problems that you've got. It's, it is quite a challenge. We just, I, at the moment, I don't have a secret answer. We just have to keep working at it. Well, so how can we, right? And, and this is something that we always talk about on the show. We talk about this very frequently, and, and it's what can we do, right, as a group of shop owners and, and the technicians that listen to this and the service advisors that listen to this, you know, you've got this kind of 30,000-foot view of this industry. Mm-hmm. And what can we do from that perspective to begin to help improve things? What's the next step? If, if you're talking to a shop owner, you, you hear a complaint like what Dutch has got with Nastif, what, what's the first step to rectifying that situation? Um, if it were, if it were me, um, I would, you know, I would, uh, I'd reach out to them directly. And I mean, I have, I have uh, tool companies and, and uh, other potential members or people who are members that, you know, from time to time they have an issue and they'll, they'll, they know who I am. They'll call me up and we'll have a, have a discussion. And I, I learned from the, from those discussions, they learn from those discussions, but the end of the day, it helps me keep my finger on the pulse of, you know, how things are going out there with them and where's their pain points and what should I be focusing my time and, and efforts on. And, you know, I, we try to get that resolved um, with, with Nast, if I'd give Donnie a call, <laughs> have a chat with right. him, and and uh, or you know there are other there are other means like you know the fact that you're reaching out and interacting with ETI, who isn't really an uh, uh, you know a, a service and repair association. We just help make the tools for it, but you're reaching out and you're 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 telling me candidly, this is where my pain is in trying to run and grow my business. Here's how it Im- right. could potentially impact my customer base. Those are the things that we exist to, to, to supposedly influence for the better. And if, you know, hearing this, I'm going to go back, I'm going to talk to a lot of my contacts and, and friends about what we've talked about this evening and encourage them to, to listen to the podcast, but also to, to uh, listen to what you guys are telling me. Why did you have me on? Well, this is, you saw something cool. But you also know we have challenges and you want to hear what those answers right. are. And I'm, I'm trying to give them to you. We're working on so many things in the background um, that will influence indirectly how you get there directly. So, 
and in well, fact, look, it, with we're uh, we're. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's a, go ahead, please. As as a thought, um, after this, we we currently are still planning to do tool tech at the end of May, um, knowing that that very well could move. We we just reviewed things here in a meeting on Monday with the board, right? And we're gonna ride it out another 30 days before we make a call to make any other serious changes, but. I would propose that we invite you and a group of people that you guys select. We can talk about size and, and background and what have you, but to come as our guests uh, to I, the I next tool to. tech event yeah. and here you can in that round, see, this is something that you ask how we can make a difference. This is one of the things we're trying to do is make a difference. You can come talk to the people that build the tools that you use to work with. You can come talk to the people that put the repair information together. You can come talk to, OEM representatives, one-on-one, and, and, you know, you want to hear what the OEM really thinks, and he'll, you know, the people you get to talk to there are people that, that do the data, they do the tools, and, I mean, they listen. So, you know, that's, those are all avenues to keep that information and, and those thoughts coming. So I would invite you guys to do that. We can talk about that all offline. Yeah, definitely. And and I would love to do that. Dutch, did you want to say something? Well, there was two things that, that um, I wanted to say was first to, to thank you for your efforts uh, on our behalf. And then um, just kind of asking at the tool show, will they have tools for sale? No. Bummer. Okay. Well, then my wife will let me go. <laughs> She'll let me go. However. For sales. Oh, however. however. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a however. Mm-hmm. Now this this is the this is the darndest thing I've ever seen. We are uh, as a trade association and with a membership that are all different tool and equipment manufacturers. Every time we have a meeting, you know, even my board of directors meeting, I have to read the uh, the antitrust compliance rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you can't say here here they are. Refer to them. I have to read them to everybody who's in the room and and literally. <laughs> Get a head nod that, okay, we won't be breaking any antitrust laws here with what we talk about because you can't talk about, you know, ter- you know let's split a territory. Let's fix right, prices right. on this kind of stuff. You can't do it. Um, we did our, uh, uh, what the heck do you call it? Uh, it's the, the, the first evening of the, the tool tech event. Um, they do, uh, it's, it's like a little mini tool show. All of the members can. Tool show? Tool show. It's like all of the members <laughs> have the opportunity to get a, a, they don't have, we don't sell it to them. We provide it. If they want to do it, we give them a 10 by 10 booth. They can, they bring their stuff and they set it up like a tool show. And it, the, we pack out a, pack out a big room in a hotel and they hold the, this, this event. And it's, these guys have all, this is an incestuous industry. <laughs> we, we talk about what who, what name is on from from the from the tool tool and equipment folks. It's what name is on your shirt? And guess what? I've had like a half a dozen different <laughs> brand names on my shirt for the companies I've worked for over the time. But it's an it's a, once you're in, it's a tar baby. You can't get out. Um, <laughs> and you basically live your life out and do your career and switch to this company and that company. And uh, these guys all get together and do the, this, this nighttime showcase of all of their products. And they talk to each other and they laughed and here's this and this is what we just came out with and here's how it's working and everything else. But they don't 
they, I mean, <laughs> they don't talk about anything. It's any trust. It's just, it's like a big tool show and they're all competitors, but it's all public information. So there's nothing, there's nothing secret. They just get their facts straight so that, you know, they're, the, the, the guys that are out on the street selling this stuff <laughs> are, are selling the right feature sets and what have you. But I walked into that room and it looked like a really busy trade show. It, it looked mm-hmm. like, you know, if we're going to SEMA or something, you know, and, uh, it just blew me away. And I knew that I had just started like a month before and I knew probably a third of the people in the room <laughs> because again, the, the shirt thing. <laughs> so, uh, well, that was you know, really I fascinating. Have to, I have to say thank you because this is the highest Dutch's blood pressure has been <laughs> in years. I mean, his heart usually doesn't beat this fast. He's, you know, I'm like awake and it's eight thirteen. This is like rocking. I it was a whole part of the night I didn't know existed at my age anymore. Um, no, it's cool. So you get the tool makers and you get the OEMs are wandering around and they're talking <laughs> talking to them. And you've got other people because we have guests and we have other associations that come and uh, and they're all walking around and 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 networking. And um, it's it was a bizarre thing to see. And then at, you know at the end of the couple after a couple hours they pack it all up and go out and party yeah i'm I'm going that's it (laughs) too late if you're Uh, just being polite you're done i don't care i'll find you in miami (laughs) (laughs) we're we're currently Um, planning it's it's all planned for uh, austin texas so uh, oh nice okay that's fantastic you know so like i said i I think you've got a thirty thousand foot view and you hear the challenges um, of of all different sides. You see everything from a, a perspective that the rest of us have trouble seeing. What challenges do we face? What, do you see challenges that that maybe we're overlooking? You know, I, I've got a repair shop coach that I work with, and I tell him all the time. You know, until he started talking and seeing things from this different perspective. I never realized I was in the thick of it. I was in the fire. I was in the forest and couldn't see the forest for the trees. And and having that outside perspective was so beneficial to me as not only a shop owner, but as a as a father, as a husband, um, and and as a leader to those who work in my business. I would love to hear your perspective about the challenges that we face and some of the 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 positives that are coming our way. What do you see from the outside looking in? Um, I, from the outside looking in, I, I won't paint everybody with the same brush, of course, because some will be there and some won't, but um, challenges you, to your point, you, you, t- you mentioned, uh, I think it was in jest, but it was a, uh, you know, technician shortages. Um, right. You, you've got technologies that are coming so fast. I don't know how anybody can keep up. <laughs> with everything they need to know for if you're just a you know a general service uh uh operation um communicate get, getting the information communicated out so you know what these things and these systems are going to be doing before they before they're released um i've i've gotten re- involved more in the last few uh last couple months with uh, some of our collision association friends and hearing some of the things that they're facing uh when it comes to, you know, they're dealing with not only the, the body repair and the calibrations and um, the diagnostics when it, things aren't working right after the fact, but they're, they're dealing with issues with getting paid for the work that they're doing and 
and numerous other other, other challenges. Um, I see this right now. Uh, actually, it's a reason. Another reason I joined ETI was to be able to hopefully help slightly influence the future where things go for the better. Um, but uh, it's it's a time where I've I've always had tremendous respect for the industry. I've always had tremendous respect for the the technicians and shop owners that that, that drive the industry. And I say right now more than ever. I have immense respect for the challenges that you guys have to face and what you're looking at. What I'm trying to do on our side is to influence those things to make it a little bit easier for you as you work through and figure out what you're, what you're going to have to do. Um, it's going to be interesting relative to data um, and what comes out of right to repair because I don't, there's, there's, there's uh, some legal things going on right now that are uh, holding up that implementation. Um, but you know, if it goes out the way it is, if it gets modified or if it doesn't go out, it's, there's still going to be a, a political side to things and the challenges that, uh, while you won't be directly involved with it, you'll, the, 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 uh, end results will definitely impact what, what your businesses do and the information you get and how you get it. Um, understanding the, the whole thing with, with data has been this understanding of what do we mean when we are talking about data? You've got the you've got personal data that is the data that uh, that the the uh, the car owner generates by where they drive to, how much they weigh, you know, any any of that right. personal information that, that the vehicle is able to collect. You've got diagnostic data that the car is generating and looking at all the time and communicating it back to the OEM. You've got uh, repair data and data and information for building the tools and and uh, um, and, and running and testing those systems it's you know, so when they say who owns the data, well, that's, <laughs> that's a really difficult thing to say and paint all that data with the same brush because it's coming from different right. places And the industry itself right is right now, right this very moment, trying to sort all that out, who owns it, how does it get managed? How does it get distributed? Who's got rights to access it and so forth. It's not just one set of data. It's, numerous different pieces that you know it's it's those four areas that I, I pointed out there i think that's going to continue to be a challenge until they sort it out and and come to a decision as to here's who's going to own what then they'll get more decisions made relative to how we service it but it's a challenge for you guys because it's slowing you down from getting to where you need to be with regards to your business and, and repairing your customers uh, vehicles so very, very much so. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that, that when Dutch was talking about, um, Nastif, that made it so difficult for many of these guys. And, and, you know, I, I know there's some real legitimate reasons for guys not to be, um, accepted by that organization. There are mm -hmm. some people who have broken the rules and they, yep. they shouldn't be. Right. And, and that's one of the things I want to point out is that you hear Dutch say that. And, and one of the important things to remember is Dutch is this like super ethical guidepost for the rest of us. Right. I mean, he, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is the way it's going to be. And we're going to do it the right way. And we're going to be honest about it. We're going to be ethical about it. So I don't think he would disagree that there's definitely some that should not have an LSID or whatever we're calling it now. Mm -hmm. Right. No, you're absolutely right, Lucas. I, I completely, you know, some people haven't earned the right to have it. 
let's let's be candid not just be you know your ability well <laughs> to be able to um repair a car successfully or service a car profess uh, successfully as a professional is not enough on the other hand we also if we're going to be fair if a man is and we're making something up 45 years of age and he, when he was 19 he did something dumb which wound up giving him a, a, a record okay mm-hmm. does that mean that he can never because something that he did when he was 19 he can't get he, he's no longer worthy of of being uh, entrusted, although his his customers have been entrusting him with cars since he was I don't know pretend twenty five years old. Very you know th- these are things that need to be looked at. I absolutely agree. There are people that it, it's it's not it has to be earned, but we have to keep an eye out for the fact that we don't make it so black and white that we lose what it is we're trying to accomplish in the mission. So well said. I, I'm going to ask a really unpopular question. We talk a lot about regulation, yep, right, and we talk a lot about you know, and 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 Tom Ham's been on, and he said, you know, we've got regulation here, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Um, you know, you talk to to shop owners in California and say that's the biggest joke that cost me seventy thousand dollars I've ever seen, um, and so it makes me wonder, could an organization like that that has um, the ability to regulate your access to information in a way, could that improve our industry? And, and, you know, I want to, I want to say that with a grain of salt, but you know, Brian, years ago, we started trying to help some shop owners mm-hmm. and by help shop owners, what we would do is we would, we would pull our money together and we would take a shop owner and we would take them to a training like vision or ASTE. And we would take them to this event and we would get them the best management training they could get. And at one point we had one who closed down shop. And and I've mentioned this in the past couple of podcasts. It just seems to be on my mind. And, and a lot of people said, did we fail? And Dutch came to me and he said, let's be realistic. There are some people who aren't meant to be in this business. There are some shops who should not make it. It's how we improve our industry. Is this a situation where if managed properly, we could improve the image of our industry through an organization like this? What say you guys? For me and Dutch? Or- <laughs> yeah, both of you. <clears throat> I, I I think that um, your, your Dutch is position that uh, some shops maybe some shops should fail um yeah I mean, again we're, we're it's hard to paint all shops with the same paintbrush because you've got large ones small ones well-established long-running ones short you know um right. and and different ca- capabilities and focus um doing i mean it's that's it's really great that you guys would work together to come up with a way to try to help improve that uh you know their their abilities within running a business and 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 growing a successful uh service organization and a loyal customer base um but unfortunately i've i've spent a lot of time in a lot of shops over the years and i've come across some that ooh, i don't know how did you get in that role <laughs> you know right um and i've met others that i they just they run businesses that are so fantastic that i just it fascinates me to go in and just talk talk to the 
talk to the owners after the you know, after they've closed for the day just to listen to what they've done and what challenges they've faced and how they've conquered them and they're growing like weeds. So that was that was a yes maybe. Good <laughs> <laughs> Dutch. What say you? Well, look for some reason, and and it, it happens in in our vocation our profession if you will there some seems to be a, a stigma with failing at the business now nobody likes to fail at any business but but if someone would have turned to you lucas and, and and say do you think you know you'd ever be a doctor or they would turn to me you ever think no i'm not, that's not i'm not geared for that so i i wouldn't want to become a doctor um and people would say that's okay you know, not everybody's meant to be a doctor and that's fine. And that's socially acceptable. But if you say, you know, I tried it and I'm not really geared up to be a, sh a shop owner. People look at, at shop owners and in our industry as being a consolation prize to begin with. This isn't, you know, the reason that you're, you're a businessman, you own a shop or you're the reason you're a technician and you're working in a shop is because you really couldn't go to college. You didn't have what it takes. Well, they, they don't do that in, in other professions. So I want to work on the fact that, the, and that's the reason why if someone fails at this business, it doesn't mean that they're a failure. It just means that this is not a good fit for them. The industry will prosper when more shops fail. How's that for right. a slap in the face? It's true. Because as long as... as Everybody can go out and hang a shingle and say, hey, I'm a shop, irrespective of training or, or certification or um, proof of proficiency. Wages will be kept stagnant and low. Wages for technicians and um, what shop owners should earn. There's a, you know, a coach that has a graph of uh, what the hourly wage was the posted shop hourly wage in like 25 years ago. And if you'd kept up with inflation, just barely with inflation, how much more money we'd be earning. We're, we're back, you know, 10 or 15 years from where we right. really should be. So I, I, I'm again, I don't want to be cruel about this, but your organization is really going to have to get in my view, I'm I'm not and I know you have to remain neutral. I, I get this, dude. I understand. <laughs> right? There's certain limits that you have to do. Um, but realistically, I hope and I and I commend you for wanting to work together that you you guys even take more of an active role. Because if we don't have constant pressure from all sides, that change that we hope to see in the industry is not going to occur. No matter how hard we try it at ASOG, no matter how many families we help or businesses we help, we're a drop in the bucket. But together, yep. using all the associations, applying pressure, we can get something done. So I'm going to lean on you, mostly because, you know, 
I can. And I'm old and really, you know, I might forget this conversation tomorrow morning or something. But um, I'm Don't gonna, worry, I'm at the I, stage I'm having that challenge sometimes too. So. <laughs> you know, um, you, you heard it on here. Is it, where would, what, what was I saying? What was I saying? <laughs> That's right. Wait, were you doing a Dutch impression? Okay. That's um, <laughs> I really w- hope that this good news, uh, your, your willingness to be, to come forward, to do this, that you set an example for others to do the same, because together we can get these things accomplished individually. Not so much. I mean, Lucas had, has a really, really good idea. People say it's pie in the sky, but he's got the right idea. You have to have a goal together. We can get stuff done individually with with everyone pursuing their own separate interests, it's not going to happen. Right. right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And we, we, you know, I'm, I think I mentioned it earlier. It's, we, we, we need to all be on the same page. Uh, if, relative if to- not in the same book would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe the same bookshelf. Um, and and I, I think that's so much of what we deal with, you know, and I, I even said at one point, I said, we should just get a group of of folks together, you know, our close friends. And and before an event like ASTE, have a state of the of the industry, if you will, and get us together and, and talk about what we face and, and the challenges and hash that out. And and everybody said, well, why would you do that? Nobody's going to agree, and 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 you know, other organizations have done that. I I just don't think that a group of shop owners, a group of technicians, a group of service writers, a group of educators, a group of tool and and suppliers have sat down and said, you know, here's what we're facing on a daily basis. Here's from our perspective what we're dealing with right now. And, and it's just like the technician shortage. I, I talk to educators and they say, you know, you guys are talking about a technician shortage, but you don't want an apprentice in your shop because you say they cost you money and, and you want to bring an apprentice in and you, you think this new person that's got, you know, six months under their belt should be turning five and six hours a day. You know, I'm telling you now you should be training them for two to three years before they touch a car alone. And you know, I, I think that there's a disconnect from from area of our trade to area of our trade, whether it's education, whether it's tooling. I just don't think we're all on the same page. I think if we could come up with a way to at least have a discussion to get us close to the same page, like I said, in the same book, on the same chapter, maybe on the same bookshelf, would make a tremendous difference if we could just focus our efforts a little bit. I'd settle on the same damn continent, much less anything else. <laughs> Here's uh, absolutely. Here's a thought. Um, you know, we when we do our events, we have, uh, and you probably saw them when you attended Tool Tech. There was probably at some point an OEM panel discussion and a either a technician or a shop owner discussion panel discussion. Yeah, that's that's you know to us critically important. Uh, to do, and that's why we always that's why it's always part of our agenda to do do a couple. But um, you know, you've been kind enough to invite me here to learn more about ETI, and you you guys are genuinely looking for your way to influence the industry. And you're right, the associations we're just a little teeny one, but we're the technical leader, which makes us really strong because of that. <laughs> right, 
makes us influential. Um, but for the, you know, the first, the day we start doing things that are not in everybody's best interest, that'll be the end of our show. But, um, what if I would talk to some of my, my, uh, colleagues that, uh, run a couple of the other associations and do it backwards, do a panel discussion with them where you guys get to ask them the questions. And oh, that would be they fantastic. They could listen to you. Um, they could get to hear this kind of thing uh, because, I mean, granted, we all, t- you know, you've got some of them, their their associations are, they focus on a little bit on tool and equipment, but really they're focusing on parts and they're ta- focusing on, you know, trade and, and a lot of things like that. Um, and they, we all, we all genuinely try to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on with the shop owners and the technicians today. But you really don't get it unless you're, you have this conversation that we're having here right now by people who have to go live it every day where you go and you, you know, go ride, go ride on a tool truck for a week and talk to the shop owners on those routes Right. And see what kind of diversity you get to hear about and see what, listen to what kind of challenges you get to hear about from technicians. Um, and then go back and make some of those decisions. Um, it might be something interesting to try to set up and I'd be yeah, game to, I, or any other ideas you guys might have. If you can, I, if I yeah, can influence I would, something for you, I'd be more than happy to do it. I would love to participate in that. And, you know, you bring up a really interesting point. You said, um, go ride on a tool truck for a day and see what those perspectives are. You know, it's funny you say that because there is a new Snap-on dealer in our area. And he said something to me. He He bought out a Snap-on dealer who was near and dear to my heart. He had become part of the family. Mm-hmm. He literally funded the business, kicking it off, really helped me along the way. And um, he said something to me that, that I didn't ever really think about. And, and the, the previous tool truck driver had always said, you know, everybody that gets on my truck is wanting to know where to find technicians. And he said, the sad thing is, is the good technicians of yesterday aren't around anymore. They all moved on. They went to different fields. The the really quality technicians that I saw, and, and he kind of had this number of, of 2007, 2008, that he saw a major shift that the really good technicians went in a different direction. And um, so this new guy comes on, he starts running this route. And he was a technician and and took over this tool truck route. And he said, you know something? And I said, what's that? He said, I really quickly realized that I went into the wrong field. I said, what do you mean? He said, I can make a whole lot more as a technician. Do you know how many people are out there looking for a technician right now? He said, it's every single shop in town. Yeah. And I think so much of that goes back to how we treat our people. The culture that we build in our shops, the way that we pay our people, the benefits that we provide our people, in so many ways we've lagged behind. Um, you know, I, I've got a buddy who's a roofer, and this guy's got uh, full health benefits. He's got life insurance. He's got dental. He's got vision. His guys are making eighty and ninety thousand dollars a year putting roofs on houses, and here we are. We're paying these guys. That are, I mean, computer engineers, they're um, plumbers, they're, uh, you know, metal fab guys, right? They're, they're all of these aspects 
with tons of skill and we're paying them, you know, I, I, we see shops that come into ASOG and they're paying these guys 15 and $16 an hour. And they wonder why they can't find techs. You know, I just, <laughs> it blows me away. Yep. It's yeah, there's, you're right. It's, it's been the, the way they're treated, the way they're, the image that's been there that, you know, the automotive repairs they've, they've fought for years to, to make, to help people understand exactly how smart they have to be to do right. what they do. And, and still, you know, people look down their nose at them and, and, uh, and they often don't get paid properly. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I, if, if, if the folks listening took away one thing from this tonight, I hope it's that when you go and you talk to that 15 or 16 year old that says, I want to be a, an automotive guy when I grow up, don't say I would never do that. <laughs> right. No, uh, please do anything but that, you know, encourage I, I, right. Encourage it and, and, and lift them up and bring them up and, and try and teach them that it, it can be a great uh, profession. And I think that's something that we're really missing. So can, Brian, can I, uh, go ahead. Bef- before you wrap, can I um, ask you two questions? Of course. Yeah, go ahead. And this is for both of you. So with, um, uh, the, all of the talk of the uh, electrical vehicle fleet, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. all the OEMs are talking now and showing, showing them the models that are coming. They're putting time deadlines on it that they're going to be, you know, 50, 75, a hundred percent electric by such and such a year. Um, and putting all these vehicles out in the, in the space. And so my question becomes, what do you foresee will be the impact of EV on your shops and your businesses? You know, there'll be a short term, a short term answer, you know, in the, over the next five years as more of the market moves that way. But, you know, let's say as it, as it evolves, what do you see the, the short term impact going to be on your businesses? For me, I, I, um, I'm too much of a pragmatist. Um, I know that GM said by 2035 is the last figure. Uh, that they wanted to have in all the EV fleet. Well, that's the plan that they have, but you know that's 14 <laughs> years away, and a lot can happen in 14 years. Additionally, before everybody winds up going EV, there's still hundreds of millions of cars on the road. Right now, I, I still see cars at my shop from 1990, okay? <laughs> so the idea that they're going to just flat go away, there's going to be cars from 2015 that are still going to be on the road in 20 years. Yep. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. And then uh, the infrastructure isn't in place in my estimation to support that rapid transition. It's going to take time. So I think what's going to happen is what we've done before. I just step up and gear up and then hopefully um, I'll be able to retire. I often tell people that, um, I really can't retire. I got to work till I'm 85 just to break even. But I hope that I'm able to retire and pass everything along to the next owner who can be equipped to address it because it's coming. The rate at which we come, it's coming is unknown. I know, you know, right. everybody, man plans, God laughs. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I read a comment in ASOG last night where somebody said it will be the end of the automotive 
industry as far as independents go. Nah. And I, I don't think that's the case. Nope. I, I really don't. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think it'll I, just continue I, to evolve. But Yep. Absolutely. And, and I, I think that the key is here, is that the next generation of technicians, we need to give them the tools they need to learn. We need to focus on training. Right. We need to bring our next generation of technicians up in a different way than we've been bringing them up. Right. And and in many ways, you know, and Dutch will will go on for hours if I let him get started on this. We talk about transactional and relational in business models. And in many ways, this kind of comes back to that for me is is our focus in our business is our people. Right. It's about not just my internal customers, in other words, my technicians, it's our external customers, our clients, but it's the next generation as well. I feel like we have an obligation to them. And the way that we solve this crisis or this EV problem is, is by educating the next generation in a way that is concurrent with the technology that's coming, but we have to educate them. And, and for me, that brings up a whole different concern, and that is we're still teaching high school kids and college kids how to rebuild starters and alternators, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. at some point, we have got to get our educational system moving forward and, and really teach them how to service these new vehicles and understand how they work. There's a lot of really great information out there, but, you know, the kids who have really picked up on it and learned how this is going to affect them and and how to work on these vehicles and how to understand a problem that exists with an EV. It's come from self-research. It didn't come from going to school. It didn't come from many of the opportunities they have outside of that. It's come from because they were excited about it. They found it interesting. They got on YouTube. They found data somewhere about it. So I think it, it's a multifaceted approach that we must take. We've got to get them excited about it. Yeah. And then we have to figure out how to raise them up and bring them up in a way that is concurrent with growing in that way towards that technology, because it is the future, right? It, like Dutch said, we don't know what the time frame is going to be, right. but it is the future, whether you like it or not. Yep. I am encouraged to see that my local community college here, actually, Central Piedmont Community College is uh, leading the charge. There are only the two, um, one or two in, in, in the country for... Uh, introducing uh, Tesla technicians and going through that program. I think that that's um, on the, the local college level. There are a lot of really fine automotive programs that will produce, help to produce some really good technicians. Not immediately, of course. It's just going to, that, that will be built with experience. Um, what we have to do, as Lucas said, is get them jazzed about working with their hands. Because for years they were told you got to work smarter, not harder. And we were, again, a consolation prize because you weren't bright enough to go to college. So our responsibility is to get these kids jazzed up about working on these cars. That, for me, is a really big challenge because without that, without the young blood coming in, we will die. 
Absolutely. And and listen, uh, you can say whatever you want. That's a challenge that's faced by the manufacturers. That's a challenge that's faced by all of us. Yeah, um, actually, in a, even an expanding audience, uh, because if you if you think about it, think about a somebody driving a Tesla or or a, some one of these other new new model EV, and is yep. involved in an accident. You now have right. to have people that are you've got first responders that need to be educated. You have people that may have to help survivors. You know, and and be able to cut things away or whatever. So they're going to have to be trained. Right. The tow truck drivers are going to have to be trained. The technician that, that starts to work on that, he's got to know everything there is to know about it. So, I mean, cause those things are dangerous. <laughs> they can kill you. Right. Um, you know, it, and on down the line, then once you get the repair done, what, you know, what does the technician have to do to, you know, to that vehicle? What are the technologies? What are the systems that, the, that they're running? And from what I understand, you know, I know very little about the technical side of the EVs, but um, that that right now, you know, specs and, and certain things are critically important <laughs> for them. So right. I just see it as, as, as a, a challenge and an opportunity. Uh, Absolutely. And, and education is key. Yes. Right. I think I think data and education is key because I, I've found that if you just have the right data, and know the right question to ask. You can fix anything. You know, it. it's that you have to have the data. You have to know the question to ask. You have to know how to ask the question. And you have to have the, the gumption. You have to have the want to be involved. And so I, I think that that's something we've got to build and work on. Um, One other so, thing. So what's the second question? You said you had two questions. So that's the first question. Okay. That was the first one. And if, if we've got time, we can. Of course, we've got all the time in the world until like nine thirty. In which case, I'm going to have to get on a cot, you know, because I'm going to have to make a pee break in a couple of minutes. You know, at my age, this I'm pushing the limit here. All right, no, no big. <laughs> this is one that's that's more for my for my uh, knowledge and understanding. I just was curious. So, so, what are the top three things each of you want to accomplish for your business this year? What's the what are the three most important things or things that you're looking to accomplish this year? Um, so for me, we're we're building a new facility, and we'll be moving into that new facility hopefully by the end of the year at the latest. So that is a big one for me, um, and that's probably number one. Number two for me is going to be reaffirming the culture in our facility. And what I mean by that is through the challenge of COVID and the stresses of everything that happened, everybody just feels far more pressure than they did previously. And we've been very blessed through the whole situation, but the training and the things that we've always done, going to these events, talking to other technicians, talking to other shop owners, participating in the trainings that Dutch holds in Charlotte really helps us build that culture that is our team. And I don't want to say that I've felt it slipping because we haven't been doing that. It's become more difficult to manage. It's become harder for everybody to see the reason that we do what we do in some aspects of it, because we've been so busy, it's just been going nonstop. So I want to, 
um, nurture that culture in our business. That that's one of the big things for me. Um, and and I really would like to get to a point that we are profit sharing with our staff or working towards a model that allows us to do that. And I want to set that goal up. It's probably not going to be this year, but I want to set that goal up over the next three to five years. So those are my, those are my big ones. That's that's awesome. Dutch. Yes. Uh, I was nodding off for a second. You had to, you you know, I had to, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Okay. No, I'm, I'm back. It's, it's all right. No worries. Um, what the goals, my primary goal is, is to, uh, get myself in a position to be able to retire at, at a reasonable age. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fond of telling people I could afford to retire now as you know, today. Um, but I'd be broke tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Uh, so I would like to, to build, the, um, the business to the point where we have to get through COVID first. Yeah. Um, and then I can, I can resume my normal staffing level because we're a tech down, um, where we were before. So that I, the, I have to get my machine shop going in the, the building that I have adjacent to mine now. Um, that's really important. And to finally kind of wait, I, I put off seeing which direction ADOS is going with self calibration or not. Uh, does it make sense now to spend, we'll just use a round number, upwards of, of uh, twenty-five to $50,000 or more to pick up factory equipment for vehicles, which may be, the newer ones may be self-calibrating. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I have some ADOS stuff now, uh, targets, et cetera, but uh, I don't know. I'm, it's that's that's the big deal is i'm trying to look at the numbers and determine i thought it was a slam dunk before um i'm not quite as certain i'm still certain but not quite as certain and then that way i could actually uh become the annoyance once i retire um to my wife that she accuses me of being now i can actually be there <laughs> to to annoy her every day right now she's she's grateful cuz she gets to kick me out of the house uh, so that's, that's pretty much what I live for is just making her life miserable. Um, you know, whenever possible, and actually not sure. I've been married for 30 years to a, a wonderful woman. Um, Good for you. yeah, no, it's, she rocks. But, um, and the only reason she married me was because my mother sent her a check at the end of every <laughs> month because she knew I wouldn't breed well in captivity, you know? So that's, um. Uh, that's what's going on there. No, that's that, that's pretty much what it is. I, I'd like to be able to to have the business be crafted so that I can retire and that I have a sense of obligation to my employees. That's um, awesome. I really, I want them to know that where I sell it, I'd love to be able to sell it to one of them. Absent that, where I'd be able to sell it, um, they their jobs would be secure. Mm-hmm. That for me is a big deal. It's clear you clear the both of you have uh, the right priority in mind, and it's taking care of your people. Yeah, is, uh, absolutely. The uh, that that is what makes that successful shop owner is putting the people first. Because well, when, yeah, either view is uh, you know you you view your employees as an impediment to profitability or a partner in it, and you know uh, there was a, there was a. I'm not mentioning names. He's a very famous 
coach who views employees as replaceable commodities. And one of his lines that I'm going to directly quote is, look, you're building a business, not a family. Well, I'm sorry, but I happen to get emotionally attached to the guys that I hire. They're more than just a number because I was a number working for a a Fortune 100 company. So I understand what it means to be an employee number. I won't have it here. but So I hope I've answered your question. And if you not, have, ask beautiful. me again because I probably forgot what the hell you asked me to begin with. No, <laughs> it was, that was that was perfect. It's it's great to hear that um, that you both have that focus uh, on what's best for your people, and I agree with you completely. I'd I'd far prefer to uh, work in an environment where my leadership has a has a relationship with us in terms of working together, and we we all have skin in the game the same way you know, and uh, as opposed to being handled like uh, a number. Amen. So, so well done. Well, I have three closing questions and they're all three, the same question. You, uh, you're in and out of shops. Um, you've been in the trade for years from a different perspective, of, of course. And one of the questions that we always ask on the podcast is if you were talking to a shop owner right now, and you had three things to say to him that would improve his business, that would change his life, that would Im- improve his ability to be profitable, whatever it may be. How would you tell that shop owner? What what three things would you say to that shop owner that would improve his business? Uh, I would say be confident in, in knowing where it is you want to go with your business and then driving, finding the way to get there. Um. Oddly enough, treat your people well because they're the ones that are going to take you there. Educate them, nurture them, train them, but take care of them at the end of the day because they will lead to your success. And third, I would say look at the opportunities that are that we're looking at today, just like what Dutch was was laying out with what he's doing relative to ADOS. Look at the technologies and how fast things are moving and all the new things that are coming and look at the, your business is going to evolve. It'll evolve a little bit in the next five years. It'll evolve a little or a lot more over the next 10, but looking and figuring out those things of where do, where do I see my business in five years? What, what should that focus be? Figure, try to figure that out. and pick it, have a plan for it. I, I, I like living by the, the long range plans, five-year plan. And every year you have an annual plan that w- leads up to where you're going. That's your roadmap. And if things change in the industry, you change your long range plan. It shift, you shift it and revise it every year, but it gives you the roadmap of where you want to go. And I encourage them to, to include their people in it because they're the ones that are going to have to execute it. So it, you know, we are, we are a people business and, uh, I mean, in terms of the way we run them and who we take, who we take care of. So, well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast along with the work of ASOG, just go to our website, asog.site. That's a s o g dot s i t e, and click on the "Become a Patron Now" button. Becoming a patron gets you several perks, supports this podcast, and is entirely tax deductible. That's because ASOG is a 501c3 educational charity. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It helps spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hitting that like button. Lucas has been burning the midnight oil, trying to manage his shop and also starting construction on his new building. Tired and slightly dejected, Lucas walked into his shop the other day and was pleasantly surprised to find that the like button had left him a note saying that there was fresh hot coffee waiting for him. But when he took the first sip, he realized that the like button had really left him cold, stale coffee. Get back at that like button by hitting it for poor sleepy Lucas. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.